1: Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your job's more visibility at
0: indeed.com/match. Just go to indeed.com/match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. indeed.com/match. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs>
0: probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day.
1: I mean we say it all the time whether you know there's two types of turds. You're a Saker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd right?
0: I mean um, we're we're we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays.
2: Welcome to the varsity Club podcast. My name is Derek Peterson and joining me this week to help uh, make some sense of a very newsy Thursday uh, around college football and, and really fall college athletics in general. We're recording this on a Friday morning. I have Jacob Padilla with me. Jacob, how are you?
0: I'm doing well, Derek. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
2: and I also have Brandon Vogel. Brandon, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. This might be the uh, the busiest second week of July that I can remember. This is like this is there's there's not much of a down period in college athletics. This is typically one of them, but of course, uh, things done changed.
2: Yeah, this is wild. Normally, I would have. I would have wanted to start this podcast by asking you, hello, if you were Patrick Mahomes and you just signed a 10 year half billion dollar contract with the Chiefs, what's the first thing you would buy? But I don't feel like I don't feel like we can waste time on that because, like, we could talk about what the Big Ten announced yesterday and spend an hour and a half talking about it. Um, and so I'm just going to assume that people probably don't want to listen to us talk about Patrick Mahomes. So let's get right to it with this Big Ten news. Um I have a list of questions that I would like to ask you guys, and I need I need some help um, sorting through some of this stuff. That's why I have you both. You're both smarter than me. You understand this stuff a little bit better than I do. But I think the best place to start is just with this. The Big Ten yesterday announced, for anyone who may have missed it, that there will be no out-of-conference games played for fall sports this upcoming season. Most notably, that means football had three games taken off the schedule entirely, so we won't get Ohio State-Oregon. We won't get Wisconsin-Notre Dame at Lambeau. Sorry, Jacob, we won't get Iowa State, no Nebraska, Cincinnati. In doing so, the Big Ten, the hope at least, what they're what they're saying publicly is that with a little bit of, of added flexibility in the schedule and, and a little bit of uniformity um, when it comes to like, the environments that teams will be playing in and practicing in each week, that they can work around issues easier should they arise. Uh, so on Thursday when the announcement came down, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren said this, quote, We felt that at the end of the day, this decision would allow us to do the right thing by our student athletes, keep them at the forefront of all of our decisions, and make sure that we can create an environment to give us the best chance to play, end quote. But Warren also said, quote, one thing we have to realize is that this is not a fait accompli that we're going to have sports in the fall. We may not have sports in the fall. We may not have a college football season in the Big Ten. We just wanted to make sure that this was the next logical step. So my question for the two of you, which is more likely yesterday's news increases or Thursday's news increases the likelihood that we at least attempt a football season in 2020 or Thursday's news makes it easier to cancel the season altogether down the road?
0: Well, um, I hate to kind of cheat on the very first question, but honestly, I think it all it does is gives the Big Ten more control it cuts down the variables and makes it either easier to do either one of them Um, once we get closer to that point and we see what the the environment is like it'll be easier dealing with their own universities to make that decision if they ultimately have to cancel or if um, they feel like they can push ahead once like you mentioned it'll be easier to control the testing and all the variables and um, you can I'm sure you can force the the schools to be very upfront about what's going on with their own program to make it easier for um, everybody involved to make the right decision. So uh, I'll, I think that's kind of what the point here is. And that's one of the things Warren says, just the flexibility and the ability to kind of control everything that's going on as much as they possibly can.
1: Yeah. I think that in a time of uncertainty, um, Basically carving out two potential paths uh, increases the likelihood of either one because you've just eliminated some some other options. Weighing the two, I think it does for now. Um, and again, like a lot of this is out of the control of the sports world and the administrators in charge. Um it increases the likelihood, I think, that we at least get some football in um, because that was it, it was a preemptive step to be able to like, OK, this we can control. We, there's not much anyone can control uh, at, at this point, but we can set up a standard for Big Ten testing, uh, Big Ten protocols, et cetera, et cetera. We <clears throat> we can control the schedule. We can um, do, do some things. Uh, Along those lines that you just can't do. I mean, the great thing about college football is it's a wild and wide open world where, yeah, you can go play in Reno, Nevada and and things like that. But in these circumstances, you almost have to eliminate that, I think. Um, And the Big Ten made that choice. It made that choice quicker than I thought, even though we had a sense that this was coming. Um, for that news to, to drop this week, uh, they did not delay <laughs> whatsoever.
2: Okay, so let's talk about that that the, the timeliness of this because yesterday some of the reaction from other leagues and other uh, Power 5 ADs, other group of 5 ADs, people that were talking to like Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger, some of the reaction was, why did they do this now? Uh, we were blindsided by this. Uh, we didn't know that the Big Ten was about to do this. I think somebody said that there was an FBS, uh, there was a, a meeting of the FBS league commissioners uh, Friday. So why couldn't the Big Ten have just waited? It it seems um, fairly obvious why the Big Ten wanted to get this out. Like it, it, when you look at the SEC's statement of we're going to continue to just look at this and and make the best decision. At a later date, like it seems like there was a there was a group of pocketing college football that was that was OK, just kind of sitting on their hands a little bit and and waiting until the last possible moment. And the Big Ten, it seems the Big Ten kind of just decided we're going to do this now. We're going to force your hand. And in doing so, we are leaders and you're either going to have to follow our example or you're going to have to do something else that makes it look like you're not prioritizing. Health and safety, because that's what the Big Ten claims to be prioritizing here. Were, were, were either of you um, shocked by the response from other people? Or, did you, or, or were you kind of in the same boat of, wow, I was not expecting the Big Ten to do this now, even though, you know, football, organized football activities begin in a couple of days?
1: It's it's very on brand for the Big Ten. They they always have viewed themselves as kind of a a thought leader in the the space of, of college sports, and you know, in in some cases, that's more earned than it is in others. So so it wasn't surprising in that regard. I mean, it's it's a clear indication that this is every man for themselves at, at this point. So, so that surprised me a little bit. I mean, you look at, there was a great story by Chris Vanini in the athletic about the impact on the Mac, which is really kind of, you know, it's, it's basically the same footprint as, as the big 10 it's, it's a really, really old conference. Um, It was a little bit surprising to, to kind of just be like, Hey, sorry guys, because like, you know, if you're an associate AD at Wisconsin, like your next step up is probably a bigger job at a Mac school. Like that's just how it works. There's a ton of personal relationships involved here. Um, so to be you know towards those g five schools to say basically, "Hey, sorry, but you're you're on your own. Um, that one gave me a little bit of pause. but I think the the thing that you can't underrate here, And I think this was part of it um, because we saw with Ohio State, they had a coordinated response ready for this. Like Nebraska put out its statement from, from campus leaders. Ohio State had a press conference. They had the video from Ryan Day ready to go. I think this was a way for the Big Ten to try and convey the seriousness of rising cases in the U.S. to everyone. You know, we've seen a lot of coaches put out, hey, wear a mask if you want football. And we started to see that sentiment more and more. But this was actual, like, a change, like, a legislated change from the conference level to say, like, this is how serious this is. And I think that was a big part in how rapidly this all came together.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point, because it, if you look at, like, the NCAA's immediate response, everybody just kind of joked. It was like, oh, they said, like, okay, thank you for doing this so we didn't have to. Now we're out, like, uh, Greg Smith and I were talking about Ohio State's response, and one of the things, you know, you, you talk about Ryan Day's video that he put out, Gene Smith was on a conference call with media, like, I don't know, within, what, 30 minutes of of the Big Ten's release, and and one of the things that I had said to Greg was, like, that's kind of what you want from flag-bearer for your conference, but also it kind of seems like the Big Ten wants to be the flag-bearer for major college football. Um, Jacob, what were you going to say?
0: Yeah, no, um, I was going to mention the NCAA's response as well about the Brandon's comment on everybody for themselves. And I think a, a lot of, I think the deal with a lot of the, uh, the oh, this overreaction, kind of the, the same same reaction that the Ivy League got back when they canceled their basketball tournament that everybody ended up following. It's just, it seems like everybody right now, until they're absolutely forced to make those tough decisions, are just kind of keeping their fingers crossed and moving forward and hoping to get as close to normal sports as possible because so much is writing on that and they don't necessarily want to think about what happens if we can't do any of this so a lot of the conversation is on all right how do we get fans there all right what do we what do we need to do schedule wise to make this happen and all that kind of stuff so it seems like um, a lot of the people talking about it are kind of Um, so in a hopeful, uh, uh, hopeful state right now, um, that we're kind of still far enough off that things could change. And I think those people are hoping things will change for the better, which is not a guarantee. So you're seeing the big 10 is like, well, now's the time for us to make these proactive moves to give, give ourselves, um, a better chance at actually getting this done or reacting, um, to cancel if we need to.
2: I saw this question from a bunch of people yesterday or jokes that, that kind of you know, beat around this question. Why is it okay for, let's say, Nebraska, who plays at Rutgers this year? Rutgers is over on the East Coast. It's 1,200 miles away from uh, Lincoln's campus. Why is it okay for Nebraska to, to go there, but it's not okay for South Dakota South Dakota State to come to Lincoln. Either of you guys care to to talk about that?
0: Um, I, I think it a huge part of it is kind of the uniform testing and um, the similar protocols that the Big Ten can lay down for all its conference members and also the other part of it is the the flexibility to move schedules more easily if something does happen. If Nebraska can't play that game, we find out in the next two weeks, if Rutgers can't play football for whatever reason, or if they just want to like scrap this, uh, the schedule and redo it entirely um, to make it more regional. Um, I think that they're still discussing what exactly the season is going to look like if they have it. Um, so the, the, the 10 game model is one that um, I think a lot of, there's some traction for but they haven't uh, officially announced that or decided that yet, it seems like. So I think that's kind of the part of it. It's not just the travel, it's again, controlling as much, as many of the variables as you can. And doing this allows for that flexibility to kind of figure it out as they keep moving along.
1: Yeah, I would agree. It's not about the travel or the distance, at least that's not the most fundamental question here. Um, as as Jacob mentioned, it's about being able to, it's, it's what you can control. So Nebraska's potential trip to Rutgers, if that goes off, you know, Nebraska uh, charters to New Jersey, hops on charter buses, goes straight to the stadium. I mean, some conferences already had already mandated that there's going to be no overnight stays for football. So, I mean, I think we could see something where there's like one time slot for the Big Ten. Um, And, and, you know, then you start to to mess with uh, the TV money a little bit, which gets problematic because teams are really going to need that. But, you know, theoretically, Nebraska could go in morning of. uh, If every game is in the 2.30 p.m. Central Time time slot, you get in morning of, you go straight to the stadium, you play the game, you get back on your charter bus, you get back on your charter plane, and you're back home. At uh, some point in the early morning hours of of Sunday, um, so that's the that's the bigger thing because at least you can tell Rutgers like, hey, this is what you got to do to be able to comply with our, our conference wide mandate. And you know, we started to see the cracks forming when South Dakota State and and this is no slight towards them whatsoever came out and said, hey, we can't really we can't just there's no there's no money to just do all of the testing we would love to do. Like we need help with this. And you start thinking about that, and if you can't control that part of it, it, it that's kind of when the the uh, countdown for cancellation of non-conference games really started in my mind, um, and and that's the bigger thing than distance. In my to, to me, I think.
2: Yeah, I want to talk about finances in a second um, because I, I that's so interesting to me. But a, a tweet just came across my timeline, Matt Tomjak retweeted out of my timeline and so um, Jacob for you and also Brandon for you as well um, let's pivot just for a second and talk about volleyball because volleyball is affected in this as well Um, the tweet that was just put on my timeline even with a juggernaut like Nebraska volleyball teams like this are rare Lawrence Stiverns, Nicklin Hames, Lexi Sun and company deserve the chance to put together a magical memorable season Jacob how is this going to impact John Cook Talk to me about this from a volleyball perspective. Are, are, are we now worried about um, volleyball being able to even have a season?
0: But yeah, I think I think at this point we're worried about every sport having any kind of season. Uh, but volleyball, in particular, um, just the way things are setting up, they they already were prea- proactive in changing their non-conference schedule and canceling their trips to Stanford and TCU. Um, trying to kind of reshuffle their their home tournaments that they were hosting. I'm sure to get more regional teams to come here as opposed to a couple of the teams that they probably had scheduled that were from further away. Um, I, and John Cook knew this was coming. it was uh, or it was at least a possibility. said it seems like every day uh, things were changing. Um, but I, I think the 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 biggest um, disappointing part about this in particular, um, even if we're able to go ahead with their their Big Ten schedule, is kind of missing out on that Creighton match and the ability to play at the Century League Center um, or the CHI Health Center um, against a, a, a very good team like Creighton. Um, that, that experience would have been huge for them considering where uh, the Final Four is this year. And uh, with, with a, a team of upperclassmen, talented players, um, they had a chance to make that deep run again this year. And I think playing in that arena with a, a packed crowd would have been a great experience for them even before they headed into the Big Ten. So, and when I talked to John Cook about this, he said, uh, even if we only can play UNO and Crane in non conference, we'd be happy with that and feel like it could prepare us. So now you don't have that preparation for the Big Ten at all. You're launching directly into. Um, conference play, and then you're also not getting that, that added bonus of playing in that arena um, be- before you even get to the postseason.
1: Yeah, I, on the volleyball front, I foresee, you know, I think there's a way volleyball is big enough in the Big Ten to, to do a conference only schedule. The thing that's hard for me to foresee is any sort of national tournament. Like, even if you take different measures for seeding that and you put a regional focus on it, like, you know, that's one where the travel does start to add up um, as you get later into it. And, and that's just that's tough. It's it's really tough for the way Nebraska's team was situated, you know, basically bringing everybody back. veteran team, as Jacob mentioned, the, the final four is scheduled to be right up the road. And we know from what we know of Nebraska volleyball, they're not afraid to kind of like address the pressure that that brings, but also view it as kind of a goal and a challenge head on. Um, so what they did the last time it was in Omaha uh, worked out well for him. Then it was just, everything was on a platter for, for this season to, to be a really, really fun one and potentially special one for Nebraska volleyball and playing a big 10 only schedule, you know, I could get behind that. It'd become interesting in a in a hurry. You know, it'd be like the Premier League almost where you have, you know, the most talent conference top to bottom uh, and you just play and it's the regular season title and that's kind of all there is. Um, but that's, I hope we don't get there for, for what Nebraska had the potential to do this year. Yeah, and Cook did say that um, even before all this, that the they were potentially
0: looking at cutting down, um, going down to eight uh, eight host schools instead of 16, and they predetermined those hosts um, by bidding, um, so that would, I guess, limit the, the sites and all that, but I, I wonder if, do you think they would consider a, a reduced field, um, maybe you only take uh, half the field or whatever, 32 teams, 16 teams, whatever it may be, um, to limit. Teams coming from all over the place. I don't, I, I don't know kind of what goes into that decision or how you would do it, but it just, um, it, it's it's going to be tough, like you said, just um, to have any kind of national tournament. But it's also, if if we're able to play the conference season in its entirety, um, I'm sure they'd like to try to get some kind of postseason. That's kind of what I was thinking of football too. Is like, I, I think that would be easier to have. Um, still, the the CFP at the very least, because you're only talking about four teams and two games. Um, so, if, if you're able to play a, a full season, you would think that you could make that CFP happen. But with the number of teams involved in, in the volleyball tournament, it's a little different story. So, um, that that'll be something to definitely track as well. well yeah. Here's
1: another question. Go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, I I think you would. You almost. <laughs> It would almost be decided for you that you'd be looking at a reduced tournament field. I mean, the Ivy League has an auto, auto bid in the NCAA volleyball tournament, for yeah. example. They're already out. Um, and how many of those other, you know, smaller, what we, you know, kind of think of as basketball only conferences? I mean, that's really what we're talking about with volleyball. Um, how many of those choose to, to sit it out, particularly with a lot of those schools and major population centers? Uh, I, I think you are probably looking at you know a 32 team field might even be optimistic. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question for,
2: and this is for either of you. Um, when you when you look around the country right now, you see Division One schools and athletic departments that are cutting. Money losing sports across the board, and, and I'm not saying that that teams are going to start cutting volleyball because I know volleyball is important from a Title Nine perspective. It's important in the Big Ten. It's especially important at Nebraska. But how unique is Nebraska in that its volleyball program actually makes money? Are there are, are there a large number of other volleyball programs around the country that make money, or are is there maybe a situation where like the NCAA or some kind of of I guess it would have to be the NCAA that says, like, hey, because X number of teams doesn't actually make money off of a volleyball season, it's just not feasible to have the volleyball season. then they just cancel it. And Nebraska like a casualty through no fault of its own. Is that a possibility or, or no?
1: I mean, last I looked at it with the, the information from the Department of Education, there's only a handful of teams. And I think this was the 2018 fiscal year. That, that showed a, a profit at the end of the year from from women's volleyball. But I think that, you know, and we see this with a lot of kind of athletic department uh, revenue reporting, that seems like a choice to kind of invest everything you possibly can back into it because th- that group didn't include, include some like high-powered programs like Penn State, Stanford, UCLA, Florida, you know, program. I mean, volleyball – even though the venues are relatively small, I mean, Nebraska is unique in that it's venues can hold 8,000 people. It still draws. Okay. Um, So it's, it's not, you know, like Stanford, one of the sports they cut was fencing, you know, it's, it's not a sport that has no revenue potential. So I I think that helps volleyball a a little bit um, because people do go particularly at the powerhouse programs, you know, you get far enough down and, and yeah, you're playing in front of, you know, 200 people every night but for for the big programs there there is at least a little potential there where it's not the total like oh we just do this because we think it's important to have the sport
0: yeah and just like with the football and everything else the NCAA, i don't think we're going to get anybody over the top saying all right no volleyball this year they're kind of leaving that up um to the schools it seems like and um, i think we'll see that in, in volleyball too i would assume. Um, so I think the Big Ten will at the very least try to have its season, even if it can't have every single member. If Rutgers can't play volleyball this year, um, I don't think that would be a huge loss. But um, I think unless they have shown that they just can't, can't keep these players can, um, safe enough to go through a season if they can't make it viable, I think the Big Ten is going to at least try to have its own thing. And anything beyond that, I think, would be a bonus. But I think the Big Ten, including Nebraska, obviously, is going to try to put some volleyball out there.
2: OK, we'll end on an optimistic note with that then and transition back to football. Um, one of the things that is incredibly interesting in all of this to me and, and maybe not maybe might not be a, as such for you guys, but it, it's the financial side of this. Um, Nebraska was set to pay Cincinnati four hundred thousand dollars. Uh, for for Cincinnati coming to Lincoln, it was going to pay South Dakota State five hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. It was going to pay Central Michigan one point three million. Um, that's a lot of money. If Nebraska is able to just get out of that, now you've saved um, over two million dollars. Um, when you know they had a game. They they had three home games taken off their schedule, and we're not quite sure how many home games they're going to have under what the new schedule would be. This was a seven home game season for them this year, and and the number I think is around four and a half million of what they make off of each football home game. So so you want you want to try to save as much money as you can, but on the other side of it, the the programs that were going to be coming here they were going to be lo- relying on a paycheck from Nebraska, and, and one point three million is a lot for Central Michigan. Um, I know 400,000 isn't a ton for Cincinnati, but I'm I'm sure, you know, if South Dakota State isn't testing its athletes because of you know, the financial ramifications that come with doing that at the frequency that they were going to need to, then having an extra 515,000 dollars in your budget or what you budgeted, having that 515,000 is going to be important. Um, one, Greg joked that it was Danny White from UCF, but one group of five AD um had responded to Ross Dellinger and said so what are we just supposed to go to court now like <laughs> it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with some of these contracts because the team that's not playing the game and not having that home game isn't going to want to pay for it and the team that was supposed to get the money is still going to want that money because it was in their budget and i think it's going to be- become just a big legal battle Um, because I'm not really sure. I don't, I I don't know that we have the, the actual contracts themselves for these three games. I went back and looked at the Akron contract and, and Nebraska wasn't able to just fully get out of that payout because of the the rain canceled game. And and I looked through the language and there was nothing that said pandemic. So maybe moving forward, people start including pandemic in their, their pay for play contracts. Um, but I, I guess like, do you guys see this being a, an issue that kind of lingers as we get into the season of teams like or, or athletic departments or universities basically taking each other to court to try to get some of this money back?
1: Uh, I think it's an issue that's going to linger for years and years. Um, I think there will be some schools who who may go the legal route. Um, although, kind of an interesting factor here is uh, Nebraska didn't cancel that Central Michigan game. The Big Ten did. Um, so do you go? Do you go straight to the Big Ten and say, "Hey, how are you going to make us whole?" I, I think in a lot of cases there will be some good faith negotiations here um, to kind of put games like. So South Dakota State, will play you again in the future. Like, it doesn't help you with, with the money that you're losing right now. But, hey, everybody's kind of in that boat. We're all dealing with reduced revenue at the moment. Um, here's what we can do. And so a lot of that will probably be based on ADs, relationships with other ADs. Um, this is one where it's good to have a friendly relationship with a pretty big network, I think. But the reason it's going to take so long is, is these football schedules are – booked so far out. Nebraska's next opening for a non-conference game is 2024. There's one in 2027 and there's two in 2029. And then after that, things like start to open up. But you're looking at a decade. So for South Dakota State to get a million dollars back from from a game, it doesn't get a play anymore. It's probably going to take five, six, seven years to to do that. Um, And and every school, I think, is really going to be in that boat. Yeah, that's kind of
0: what I was worried about, too, just kind of thinking about the viability of college football as a whole and other sports as well. Because I think about a program like UNO basketball here locally, and they're kind of just gauntlet of a non-conference traveling all over the country that they have to do every year um, just to make enough money to kind of keep their, their, their program, their sports programs up and running. Um, So what's, what is this going to do to them if basketball follows the same suit um, and we end up conference type only play there and they're not able to go cash those checks? How are they going to move forward? So this entire thing, there's so much that they're going to have to figure out. um, And the, every conference for itself is going to make that tougher, a lot tougher for some than others. And like Brandon said, it's a going to be tough for them to take schools to court. We'll see if they can take the conference to court if they need to. But that I think that could be where the lawsuits come from. It's where like, well, we're desperate. We have we need to find some way to get this money. So I don't I don't know if there's something the NCAA can do to to kind of help ease the burden for some of these programs that are missing out on those big checks, or if they're just going to be on their own. And by the end of this, we're going to end up losing a lot of programs. So I, I I don't really know any details about the financials of it, but I'm certainly worried for a lot of schools.
2: I saw a handful of people that suggested that the big 10 should, should pay those contracts. And I, and I don't know. I mean, a buddy covers Arkansas state. So I know that like Arkansas state was set to get 1.8 million from Michigan to play the Wolverines this year. Like that's a lot of money. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, Brandon, the distinction that you made, I think, is an important one that Nebraska didn't cancel the game Um, like these Big Ten teams didn't cancel games with their non-conference opponents. It was it was the conference that did. And the thing that I think is going to make if they if they if the if the group of five teams or the FCS teams try to go to court, it's going to make it difficult on the power five teams or the Big Ten teams that canceled the fact that you can't really say, well, we couldn't play this game because of the pandemic when like you played 10 other games if we get a season. Like if if you played other games, it's hard to make the – I would probably be hard to make the legal argument that you couldn't play because of a pandemic when you played other games. So that will be interesting to me. Um, But that just assumes that we get football. We might not get football. If we do, uh, it might be a 10-game schedule, which is what a lot of people reported on Thursday. But I think Kevin Warren said – Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren said that 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 wasn't decided yet. Um, are you guys good with a 10 game conference only schedule? I saw a handful of people that said adding a 10th a big 10 game would, would be too much uh, wear and tear. People talked about, I think Scott Frost talked to the local papers about how, what was his quote? Like 0% of big 10 coaches would be in favor of a conference only schedule. Like are you guys good with a 10 game schedule or is that problematic?
1: I, I, I don't think it's problematic. I, you know, and it's tough to go against, you know, something coaches are directly saying because they're, they're the ones who see it up close and personal. But, you know, if you're looking at a 10 game schedule that gives you another chance for a potential bye week in there somewhere, um, that's all to be determined like everything else at the moment. Um I just it it feels like the thing you say as a coach, because I mean, lopping off these these three non-conference games for all these big 10 teams is like a, a serious blow to like the whole college football ecosystem. Like, as you know, we've been talking about these, you know, group of five or FCS teams need these games to to continue to exist. The the power five schools need them because in a lot of cases they're their wins for them and their additional home game revenue. Like it's, it's all kind of tied up in the, the food chain, um, which is, which has never been totally satisfying, but it's just the way things are. And and we're going to see now the, the impact of, of the disruption to that, that kind of food chain. But it, it's just, man, there's, there's, there's so much here that's hard to wrap your head around. Um, One that isn't is the Big Ten, like, one more Big Ten game just being too much of a a physical toll. Like, I I think there's something to it. The Big Ten's a grueling conference. But, like, being the bridge too far, being like, nine, we could do. But that's the utmost. Like, I I just, that doesn't seem that feasible. But I understand why that would kind of be a coach's default position.
0: Yeah. I Trading three non-conference games for one more Big Ten game especially if that big 10 game is against someone like Michigan state this year. Um, And when you were playing somebody like uh, Cincinnati already, that was supposed to be pretty good this year. um, Have pretty salty defense. I, I don't, I don't, I think the math, I I just don't see that, that trade off ending, uh, ending up adding so much more wear and tear to the team. And especially if you're able to, you get a, another bye week somewhere in the mix there, you're able to spread those games out a little bit more and give yourself a little bit more recovery time. So I I, I think I'll take uh, the the wear and tear of one more Big Ten game over three non-conference games, stretch out over three weeks. Um, so I think physically, I I just... Maybe I'm wrong. I, I've never I've never seen up close what the physical toll is on a a, a Big Ten game for a team, but I, I just struggle seeing how that makes it so much worse going to ten conference games instead of 12 games in total. Especially for some of these teams that do have like mentioned Cincinnati, but other teams have other Power Five non conference games that have been canceled that they would have played um, really good teams and I struggle to see how another Big Ten team would be so much worse on them physically than playing that game.
2: Well Oregon Ohio State and uh, Wisconsin Notre Dame. Like Exactly those are those are big games. Um, and like you said, Cincinnati was no pushover and I South Dakota like people don't want to play South Dakota State, I don't think. Like they were really good against Minnesota yeah. a year ago. Um, who, who, would you, who would you want to see added to Nebraska's schedule? If we go to 10, it would stand to reason that Nebraska would get a home game because as it currently stands, they have four home games and five road games. I don't think that's going to be the final schedule. Among the teams that I've seen thrown out there, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan State, who are not currently on Nebraska's schedule, who would you want to see added as a 10th, um, 10th team or in a fifth home game on Nebraska's schedule.
0: Indiana is kind of interesting, but I saw what law failure did to Nebraska last year. So <laughs> maybe let's just go with Michigan state for this next year, considering so, uh, so many of the other games on their schedule this year and uh, just kind of give Nebraska another chance at a win, uh, replace that central Michigan game with uh, one of the teams that are expected to struggle um, be towards the bottom of the conference this year
1: yeah i think um so michigan would be a, the other one that isn't on nebraska's schedule currently um that could be in there for pure entertainment value that's that's probably the pick for me um the probably the best measuring stick might be indiana Um, I have no interest in seeing Michigan state or, or Maryland, uh, (laughs) Michigan state, I think is going to be kind of a mess and Maryland already was. So just from a pure competitiveness, uh, like let's get a good game back instead of just a game. Um, those would be my, it'd be Michigan first. Uh, and if Nebraska is not quite at that level yet, which they might not be, uh, there's, there's some existing bad blood from last year's Indiana game that, that could be fun.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, I don't remember I that last Michigan game being all that uh, entertaining.
1: <laughs> hey.
2: Well, you give you give Frost Harbaugh a three Yep. Two
1: years. Two years down the road now. Can we can we make a Rick and Morty jump into a alternate parallel universe quickly and just talk about some uh, Big Ten scheduling from a pure entertainment standpoint? <laughs> sure. Okay. Ins- ins- insert insert a parallel universe jump sound effect here. Um, <laughs> we uh, is it possible for the Big Ten to expand by two teams in like uh, the next ten days or so, and then we go <laughs> and then we go to quads. So Nebraska, of course, is in the quadrangle of hate with, with Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And you play each team in your quad twice, home and home, so that gets everybody six games. And then we go basically World Cup style: top two teams in each group advance to an eight-team playoff. So half the teams in your conference get at least seven games, max of nine. Let's do okay, it. Hold on. Time me up. You're going to have to run. You're going to have to run through this again with me. Okay, four-team pods, geographically based. So. You're reducing travel as much as possible that way. You, okay. So Nebraska plays home and home with Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Top two teams in that pod advance to an eight-team playoff, and the top two teams from the other three pods advance. Um, so you've got an eight-team single elimination playoff to determine the Big Ten champion. It's basically a group stage and then knockout rounds. Who are we
0: adding I love to it to that?
1: One of them's we we got an add a team in the East, um, and that that becomes problematic. I mean, the obvious one here is is Notre Dame, um, yeah. which might be out in the cold anyway. So maybe they're they're willing to listen, and they can slot into to one of your two central pods, whether that's you know Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, and Illinois, or or whatever. Um, they could also slide over to whatever Ohio State's in. Um, But we need a team in the East to go with Penn State, Rutgers, and Maryland. And that's where it becomes a little bit of a problem.
2: Because we are living in a lawless parallel universe, can we just pluck Syracuse from
1: the ACC? We can. Um, I might go... I might choose Boston College over over Syracuse, uh, just Ooh. because because they've got you know Jeff Halfley there now. And they kind of play a Big Ten style anyway. That could be fun. We we need a team to to stand up to Penn State because they're obviously going to like they're going to give up fourteen points total in their their uh, four games against Maryland and Rutgers. So. We need somebody who can at least, you know, I mean, but this happens in the World Cup, too. You know, you get the you get these groups where you're just like, OK, well, Spain's clearly through and like whatever happens with these three other also rands like somebody's going to get a chance to to move on, even though they don't deserve to.
2: Records, Greg Shiana. I would be more down for Boston College if they still had A.J. Dillon, who A.J. <laughs> Dillon is probably the most Wisconsin running back ever to not play at Wisconsin. Well, he's going to play in Wisconsin in the pros. <laughs> oh. oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize he got. Was he drafted by the Packers?
0: Yep. Second okay, so round. The
2: universe, universe course correcting itself.
1: UMass you is a is a East Coast based uh, independent, but they do not they do not meet the stand up to Penn State uh, standard. So uh, the easiest path is is not very viable there, unfortunately.
2: I like that. Obviously, from the, you get a home and home with Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota for Nebraska. Does Nebraska go one and five in those games? Two and four? (laughs) What what does Nebraska go
1: in those hypothetical six games? (laughs) Uh,. Let's see, it it, it all, it all, it kind of hinges on Iowa. Like, what is Iowa going to be? And I don't know this. I was, you know, we we obviously talked about this uh, in other formats about, hey, okay. you know, set up to kind of be Iowa again, but who knows what, what toll the offseason takes. That's kind of the linchpin. Um,
2: Are they set up to be Iowa again, though? I feel like they're, they're the team ripe for an identity crisis because Brian Ferentz wants to throw the ball.
1: Yeah, they're not quite they're not as well set up as they have been of late. Um, Like when we did our buy buy sells, uh, I I was already a sell on Iowa uh, just because they're going to be good. They're going to be in a world where bowl games exist um, back when we thought 12 games was still on the table. Like Iowa's a bowl team. It's they're not going to fall that far. But this might be this with what they have to replace, you know, quarterback, most notably, but also some some key departures elsewhere. Uh, felt like more of a potentially eight and four, seven and five type of Iowa team rather than 10 win Iowa. Uh, and and then you add in, you know, all of the controversy of the offseason. So they get interesting pretty quickly. I, I think Nebraska, Nebraska could get to three and three, I think, in in that group. Um, they wouldn't be favored to do so, but I could see them getting there.
2: Hmm. Okay. Jacob, you've been awfully quiet.
0: Well, I mean, let, this is Brandon's uh, brainchild. I just figured I'd give him all the airtime to kind of sort through it because he's clearly thought a lot more about it than I have. <laughs> Sounds like fun, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, Brandon, it, it'd, be you a, live- it'd, it'd be a it'd be a further reduction in games for, for a lot of schools. That might be problematic, but you know, in, in this universe that we, that we decided to stop over and the the only objective is my personal entertainment. So um, (laughs) I don't, I don't feel that bad about it. And I mean, they can split the TV money if if they're able
0: to get to the the minimum for TV games. And I'm sure they'll be able to do that with, with this. Path. So teams teams will still get their money even if they're not playing the full twelve games. I mean, we're they're they're not gonna be making much money from the gate this season anyway. So as long as they get their TV money, that's kind of I think what everybody's aiming for right now with all these plans.
2: And TV money really gets in the way of college football doing a lot of interesting stuff right now.
0: But also T V money allows them to do everything they're doing right
2: now. I mean, sure, but you could get really fun and creative with this season if it wasn't for TV contracts.
1: You could I'm, I I know we're we're Nebraska and then Big 10 focus, but I I'm super mad to not get Oregon's start to the year where they hosted North Dakota State and then Ohio State. That was like oh, one wow. of the more fascinating two game swings to open a year for a team that you know has legitimate type or playoff aspirations at least um i was like oh my gosh and okay so oregon's set up to win now and they opened with the king of FCS, which, like, you you never want to play North Dakota State. There's no upside to that game. And then, okay, Ohio State comes in the next week. It would have been fascinating. Um, and it'll probably never happen now because, as we talked about, you, you got to start thinking about, okay, well, maybe we can do that seven years from now.
2: Uh, and college football will not exist seven years from now.
1: So, Well, that's the thing. Uh, do you think all of these changes – kind of force a, a reckoning for the sport because we're like, okay, all of the challenges here are like based on the old way. Um, do things change? Like does, does, does anything happen from this or is it just a rush to get back to the old way as quickly as possible?
2: I do wonder if there's a draw to, to being more regional, but like you talked about before non-conference schedules are booked out for like the next decade like Alabama and Ohio state play each other in like 10 years. Like those, those games are already set. I don't know how much you can, how much you can realistically change because so much is already set in
1: football. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. I mean, Nebraska has a game scheduled for 2035. Um, it's still water, still water, Oklahoma. Um,
2: How long will Mike Gundy's mullet be by that game?
1: (laughs) A gray waist-length mullet. Uh...
2: (laughs) Brandon, do you... I I love how much of, like, European football influences your hypothetical thinking for American football.
1: Well, it it really is, like, the closest analog, I think. So... uh... Uh, I'll quick sojourn into like my personal journey getting into European soccer. I'm you know, like a lot of people, I think you get drawn to uh, the intense fandom of it. And you're like, Oh, this is great. Especially if you're an American, you're like, this is amazing. Like, I wish we had this here. And you you go with that for a little while. And then you, you like, at least for me, you step back and look like, Oh, we kind of have that here. It's, it's college football. Um, Just with the sort of, Intense attachment to a regional team. Uh, Of course, you can, you know, become a Notre Dame fan if you want when you live in uh, Utah. That that happens. Um, But for the most part, it's like I was born here. So this is my school and this is my team. And there's all of the ritual around it. So I think that's why those two Venn diagrams intersect so often for me. And, uh, you know, we just wait another year or two and it'll just become... Probably one circle for me, um, and, and I'm fine with that. We just need a a system of promotion and
2: relegation in yep. uh, in college football, and, and things will be good. Bill Conley is kind of our flag bearer for that, which I appreciate. Um, Brandon, do you want to live in this this parallel universe that you've created for a little while longer, or can we jump back to our um, very gloomy ten game, maybe Big Ten universe? Yeah,
0: we we should, we should
2: probably go back to reality. Okay. Um, the last big question that I have for you guys is is really just on a macro level. How does this stand to impact Nebraska football if there is a season in twenty twenty?
1: Jacob, you go. You, you you take that one first.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, I man. It, and it, you can it, take
2: you can take this any direction you want. It could, be, yeah. it could be financial. It could be on the field. Like you could talk about Scott Frost being on the hot seat. You know, whatever, <laughs> whatever direction you want to go with this, you can take it.
0: Uh, Scott Frost was not going to be on the hot seat unless he went zero for twelve and started cussing people out at press <laughs> conferences. Um, so I I think you add the pandemic to this, and he's definitely not going to be on the hot seat anytime soon. So I understand uh national writers needing to put lists together but i don't know maybe put in a couple seconds of uh critical thought before deciding on your final list before publishing but anyway um yeah this will be really interesting to see kind of how nebraska navigates this already the non-conference wasn't going to be easy with um, south dakota state and cincinnati on there but you were still kind of expecting Nebraska to get at least two wins out of that, maybe three, to set them up for that that brutal stretch run of the season. Right now, that's at least one guaranteed win off your schedule, maybe two um, against South Dakota State. And then Cincinnati, I think, would be comparable to some of the other kind of more mid-tier teams that Nebraska is going to play in the Big Ten. So um, things potentially are getting even more difficult for Nebraska. It's going to be tougher to I think, improve on that win total and keep that thing moving forward, um, especially, especially with a, the a bowl season, no matter how many games you win, seeming unlikely. So I, it, it might be tough this year to kind of fully gauge the progress that Nebraska has made uh, just by the, kind of the final record and how things turn out um, because you could end up winning uh, same number of games as last year while still making a, a decent size step forward. So you're really going to have to, um, I think watch closely at these games and, um, kind of follow with a, the fine tooth comb to see where Nebraska has made the progress that it needs to make and where it's still trying to get there. And I, I think that's going to be a huge part of the season is just kind of, um, kind of just gauging where nebraska is in that uh, that that progress timeline um heading into year three for frost
1: yeah i think if if you're if you're not hung up on win totals so much which when there might be a variable number of games among college football conferences becomes a little bit easier but it's it's tough to to totally wash out i think it could end up being a a slight positive for, for Nebraska. Their non-conference schedule was one that was had a limited upside to me. So, so central Michigan was probably going to be rebuilding a little bit, but that's team that played for its conference championship last year. Um, it, it's not, you know, the, the dregs of of the mac so you got to come out and, and be ready to play in that game south dakota state was a big challenge uh, that, that game was fascinating and this jacobs mentioned like cincinnati's basically a big 10 team um in their approach to like we're going to play defense and run the football um their head coach basically spent his entire career up to this point at ohio state and they're, they're physical they've they've recruited really well in the ac aac so that's kind of a one-to-one replacement. Like if you go from Cincinnati to an Indiana or a Michigan state, there's not a jump, not a huge, you know, uh, departure there either way in terms of the type of football you're, you're facing. Um, But I think what this could do is, is hone the focus a little bit. And and Nebraska, you know, I think was poised to be better this year um, like a lot of people just with the amount that they they had returning. But it wasn't, like, the leap season for me, I, I don't think. And I think you can still achieve that goal, uh, especially if you're like, well, hey, when we only play 10, like, how good is winning five? Or how good is winning four? Um, yeah. You can still make that progress. Uh, you, you're able to, you know, Nebraska, a lot of its problems of late, I felt, have been a little bit, mental in terms of them kind of you know we, we watched them last year come out and sleepwalk against fau and then they looked great for a half against colorado and, and faded there um here you can be like hey there are no weeks off it's big 10 and you know this was going to be the case with a purdue opener anyway um, so you had a little bit of that but there there's just no chance for breaks um for for those kind of mental Letdowns. I think when you know you're playing only a Big Ten schedule and if Nebraska is able to embrace that, uh, it, it could give them a little bit of a boost. Has
2: Scott Frost had one of the wildest five-year starts to a coaching career of anybody ever? He had he had to deal with hurricanes in his first two years at Central Florida and then had a canceled game because of rain his first year at Nebraska. And now he's got this in his third year at Nebraska. Did he have a normal year last year or was there something that I feel like there's something that happened that I'm
1: forgetting? I would say 20, 2019 was probably, uh, as, as normal as he's, he's had so far when you're in terms of like big picture things, you're not dealing with the cancellation. Um, You know, you you had the the sort of things that pop up for every program, uh, the Maurice Washington incident, um, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things. Um, But for the most part, 2019 felt fairly by the book, I think, unless I'm leaving out something that's totally obvious. Yeah, I don't think so.
2: Nothing immediately comes to mind. He's uh, he's going to be a contingency master by the end of this. (laughs) <laughs> contingency plans are going to have contingency plans anything else that that we need to hit that you guys feel like you you want to talk about I feel like we've covered a lot
0: uh, it just seems like Scott Frost's curse with his non-conferences
1: <laughs> that yeah
0: is a better way to put it it was his last well I'm trying to think has he had a year really where the non-conference went off without a hitch before last year he had the, the cancellations back at UCF um, with, with the weather down there and everything. He's had to reschedule or lose non-conference games almost every year that he's been a head coach.
2: You could, you could also add the uh, Oregon-Boise State game from when he was the wide receiver coach <laughs> 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 at Oregon. <laughs> we could add that in there if we wanted to. Still one of my favorite moments in college football history, along with Marshawn Lynch. Uh, riding around on a, like what is it, medical card or a golf cart or whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> up there, Pac-12 mm. football after dark is great.
1: Yeah, well, that Oregon Boise State game was that a Thursday night game? I think that that was like the first game of the season, I believe. Yeah, if I that that, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. As I long was... as we maintain Pac-12 after dark, I'll be happy.
1: <laughs> hmm.
2: So, so what? The Big Ten gets gets the two thirty slot on Saturdays. Uh, the SEC gets the six o'clock, seven o'clock slot, and the Pac twelve gets the nine thirty slot. I'd be cool with that. That that would be
1: interesting. I mean, yeah, maybe everything, maybe everything's in prime time. Which, oh, man. losing, losing the full day of college football Saturday would, would hurt a little bit. But if you're, if you're looking at travel where you're trying not to, to have an overnight trip, like it kind of doesn't matter. You know, if you, you play a 7.00 PM game and you don't even board the plane and get out of there until 2.00 AM at that point, it's kind of like, well, it's achieving the purpose. Um, uh, be a little bit more wear and tear on the athletes playing a primetime only schedule, but is it worth it to, to not get in a day early? Uh, these are all like, I mean, these are like the minor detail questions <laughs> that are, you know, 500th in line behind some of the still big picture questions we have to decide before we, we fully know if, if college football's a go. Sure.
2: Yeah. Well, you guys both have work to do, so I'll, I'll let you get back to it. Thank you uh, to both of you for, for coming on the podcast and, and trying to help make sense of, of some of the, Answers that we got this week that created other questions, but still answers. So thank you, guys.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
2: We'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, keep reading hellvarsy.com. I say this every week. Subscribe to Jay Moore's More To It podcast. Subscribe to uh, Chris Schmidt's radio show. It's on iTunes as well. Or I don't think it's iTunes anymore. I think it's Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe to our show if you don't already. Leave a rating and a, and a review for for all three, and keep reading hellvarsity.com, and we'll be back next week.